And he commanded the steward of his house, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also, put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his grain money. So he did, according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. No, also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him. Oh, my Lord. Please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was, when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, Go back 
and buy us a little food, but we said we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please, let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? Lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Please, come near to me. So they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Twenty-two years before this, Joseph now the prince of Egypt, the prime minister, was one of his father's favorite sons. In the story of Joseph, Jacob was a man with four wives. His favorite wife was barren, and eventually she had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. So needless to say, being the younger of the sons, they were the babies of the family, they were the favorites. The older brothers hated him. And one day, while running an errand for his daddy, they threw him in a pit, wanting to kill him. And Judah persuaded them not to kill him, but to sell him into slavery. So they did, and he joined us a spice-trading caravan 
that took him to Egypt where he was sold to the captain of the guard. And there he was promoted, but then Potiphar was his boss. Potiphar's wife falsely accused him, and now not only is he a slave, but now he's a slave in prison. Thirteen years later, he is running the prison, very faithful as a leader. He had had dreams as a boy that he was destined for something great, wondering when that day would come. And through a unique series of events, he wound up interpreting a dream for Pharaoh, which was a prophetic dream of seven years of plentiful harvest and seven years of terrible harvest, famine. Pharaoh asked him for a suggestion on what to do, and he said, well, I would store up 20% of the bountiful harvest each year so that you have it to draw from during the years of lack. Pharaoh liked the idea and promoted him to run the operation and made him second in command only to himself in all the land of Egypt. So the seven years of plenty came and went. 20% of the harvest was stored each year. It was such a bountiful harvest, they could not keep count of how much food they had. And then the famine happened, just like Pharaoh's prophetic dream had predicted. And... Here comes Joseph's family from back home, the land of Canaan, wanting to buy food. It wasn't the whole family, but the ten brothers, the ones that had abused him. In spite of his cries, they they fessed up in front of him. He did not reveal who he was to them. He looked like an Egyptian. He sounded like an Egyptian. He probably walked like an Egyptian. Remember that kid's song? So he spoke to them through an interpreter and to put them under pressure, he accused them of being spies. You're you're up to no good. And So they began to defend themselves and tell how good good of guys they were. And in, in this defense, they revealed they had a father back home and a younger brother and a brother that had died which was him. He had to leave the room to regain his composure. He was crying. He came back and sold them the food they wanted and then had the money replaced back in the bags with the food. They go back home, and he told them, do not come back without your younger brother. This will be proof as to whether or not you're lying spies. And so they go home and tell their dad this, and Jacob says, no way am I letting your little brother out of my sight. Something terrible is going to happen to him, and if that happens, it'll be the death of me. So they continue on in the process of time, the next few months, till they were running out of food. And Jacob said, it's time to go back to Egypt and buy more. And he said, we can't without Benjamin going with us. That was the name of the little brother. Judah pled with his dad and persuaded him to let Benjamin go with him by convincing him that he would be personally responsible if anything should happen to Benjamin. So Jacob allowed it to be so and appealed to Almighty God, El Shaddai, to make their trip a success. So last week we heard the story. They arrive, Joseph recognizes them, sees Benjamin with them, and has them invited to his house for lunch. And they put on a barbecue. They slay an animal to eat. 
And there he has to leave the room again to regain his composure, to keep from crying. And they had a feast, the last verse of chapter 43 implies that they got drunk. They, they got married. They got happy. And the next day, he sent them on the road with, with as much food as they could carry and secretly had the money put back in their bags. But he also had his special silver cup put in the bag of Benjamin. He's going to see what these guys are really made out of. Made of. And so as they get out of sight, he he shares his plan with his steward and says, okay, I want you to go after them and accuse them of stealing my silver cup. We just heard this read to us. And the one who has it has to be my slave, and the rest of them can go home. Well, he knew it was in Benjamin's bag, but just to build up drama, he had the steward go through the bags of all of the brothers, starting with the eldest, going down to the youngest. So he did Reuben's bag first. And of course, the brothers are all saying, we don't have it. We'll all be your slaves, and may the one who has it die. They said, no, that's not necessary. Nobody dies today, but the one who has it is going to stay here. Has to stay here and be my slave. So with their hearts beating, like, what's happening? And of course, the drama builds because they see their money back in their bags. They are freaking out. And sure enough, come down to the last brother, there is the silver cup in Benjamin's bags of food. Well, he's going to have to be the slave. And the story says they all turned on their heels and went back to Joseph's house. They would not abandon their little brother. They would not allow him to be arrested and go back alone and go back home and face dad alone. They had already done something like that with Joseph. They weren't going to do it again. So Joseph looks up, and here they all come, begging for mercy. Oh, no, it's, I don't hold you all responsible, just this younger one. Of course, he's doing all this through an interpreter, right? And Judah stands up. He, remember, he's the forefather of Jesus. He stands up and pleads the case, tells the story, of how their father believes that Benjamin's brother, they had the same mother, they were brothers of another mother, but in this case, <laughs> Benjamin and Joseph had the same mother, how Joseph was believed to have been killed by wild animals. His, their, our father believes this, and it will kill him if, if we go home without him. So you have to let me, please let me stay here and be your servant. And it broke. Joseph. He commanded everybody to leave except his family. And then he reveals who he is and he starts speaking Hebrew. I am Joseph. And the highlight of this revelation is this statement. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. This is how he sees things now in the story. When it first began, you know, 22 years earlier, he may not have seen it this way. 
God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. I mean, it was bad. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save yourselves by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler throughout the land. I don't know if he was older than Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a young guy. We do know there were some young pharaohs in history. But he's the man in charge of Egypt. In functioning, as it functioned, maybe not on paper, but he is the man. God did this. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, the good news of God's providence. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for providence. I pray that every person in the room would have a new word in their vocabulary, a new word in their theology. Lord, may we trade our meology for theology, because it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen. The good news of God's providence. Providence means the act of providing or preparing for future use or application. That's as an action word, but as a noun. It's foresight, accompanied by the procurement or the purchasing of what is necessary for future use. It is suitable preparation. To use the word providence in a sentence, here it is. Many troubles are caused by the lack of providence. Who would agree our government needs more providence? God has providence. Notice the word provide is the first part of the word providence. In advance of the need, God has provided the provision. When Abraham took his son to the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice. He thought he was going to do it. He did it as a figure. For three days, the two of them marched alone, carrying the wood on Isaac's back. Isaac was as good as dead. But at the last moment, the Lord had Abraham stop from killing his son and showed him a ram caught by the horns in a thorny thicket. And the ram was offered as a substitute in place Abraham's son. He had told Sarah, we're going to yonder mountain to worship. And they did. So in advance of the need for an intervention, lest Isaac should die, Abraham must have believed in his son's resurrection. Sounds kind of, kind of like the gospel being acted out, doesn't it? But in advance of that need, God had already provided the ram. Had the ram go up there and get caught in the thicket, so at the right time. And there's where God revealed himself as Yahweh Yireh, or Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. As it is said to this day, the text says, in the mountain of the Lord he shall be seen. From that mountain, you can see the mountain where God's Son was offered up on a wooden cross for the sins of the world. 
Jehovah Jireh provided the need for us. He made the provision before the foundation of the world. Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Could it be the problems you're facing right now is leading you to the place of God's provision? Or could it be that you are being positioned to be a person of provision in the purposes of God in the earth, in your family? The good news of God's providence. We're going to cover three little things. His providence can fully be Such providence can only be, and this providence can often be. The notes are in your bulletin if you are a note kind of person. Isaiah said this as the mouthpiece of God, chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Can I get an amen? Declaring the end... From the beginning. You know, if you're a good builder, you get architectural drawings, right? What are the drawings of? The drawings are a drawing of the finished product. They're tools. You've got to know what you're building in advance of building. So God declares the end from the beginning. He kind of does the moonwalk. Here's the end, and then he backs up to the beginning. The lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I personally believe when we pray, God hears and answers our prayer. Sometimes it's not the answer we want, but he does answer it. When we ask, he answers it. But we may not see the answer just yet. The prayer has been answered somewhere along the timeline of your life. He declares the end from the beginning. It's answered. The answer is there. So it's not that the answer's on its way to us. We are on the way to the answer. This is why we walk by faith and not by sight. So God is the only God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God is so awesome, even his greatest enemies wind up working for him. Throw him a curve and he'll hit a home run. Give him a mess and he'll give message. A trial, he'll bring triumph. A test, he'll give you testimony. First the test, then the moaning. (laughs) I hope this isn't one of those sermons where you guys can just say it with me. (laughs) You heard these things so much before. His providence can fully be appreciated in reverse. Joseph fully appreciated the provision of God after it had happened, after he was in position. Those first seven years of plenty must have been glorious years. He gets a gorgeous wife, two wonderful sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and now here comes the restoration of his family. Joseph, in reconciling with his brothers, we'll see this next week, invites the whole family to move. I think it was 75 folks to move to Egypt till the famine was over. Well, they moved and stayed for 400 and some years. So they moved there. Jacob's so happy, you know, to have Joseph back. And 
Um, I don't know what the brothers told him. Somebody had to have leaked. Out of 75 people that knew the truth, somebody had to spill the beans as to what actually happened. But then he dies. And at his request, they all went back to Canaan and buried him in the family, family grave, which is still there today. The Muslims want to have it, so the Jews share it with the tomb of the patriarchs. They hauled him back and buried him. And then... They go back to Egypt because the famine's still going on, right? Now the brothers are nervous. Whew, now that daddy's gone, what's going to happen? Joseph told them this, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. He didn't, he didn't let them off. You guys did mean evil. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, were they worthy? No. We're calling this series Jesus in Genesis. This is, this is Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is Jesus at the Great Commission. Carry the gospel to all the world, but go to Jerusalem first. Why Jerusalem? That's the place that killed you. Why go to them first? The heart of the Messiah. He went to the lost sheep of Israel first. And no one was as, as lost as the ones that wanted to destroy him. Proverbs 16.4, The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. We may not see any purpose in the lives of the wicked, till the day of doom comes. And then in reverse, we'll appreciate the purpose they served. In Acts 2, Peter's preaching. The first sermon, the day of Pentecost, in Jerusalem, going to Jerusalem first. In talking about Jesus, he said, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, since it was not possible that he should be held by death. Okay? So he laid responsibility for the citizens of Jerusalem on their necks. But notice, how was it done? By the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You didn't do this, God did this. Could God have stopped it? Yes, he could have. But being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, God just took his enemies and used them for his purpose. I think in one of Paul's epistles, he said, had they known what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In Acts chapter 4, they're praying because their threats of persecution are coming their way, and they're praying for boldness. And in their prayer, they say, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, these are the first believers, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Why did he do this beforehand? to make provision for you and I. Can we say providence? 
So looking at it in reverse, boy, we so appreciate the providence of God, don't we? He's awesome. Peter wrote in his first letter, chapter 1, speaking of Jesus, he said, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. So God begins with the end and backs up to the beginning. So the end is what it's all about, right? After the fact, you can open to the last page of the book and read, oh, we win! But in the pages of your life, you can't do that. But you can trust in God's unchanging hand, amen? Revelation talks about the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The prophetic plan of God. All right, enough on that point. Such providence can only be understood in the present by faith. It can be appreciated after the fact in reverse, but presently, with the present battles we're facing, we can only understand it by faith. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand. We say understand. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. He goes on in verse 5. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So he's promised this land, called the promised land. It was promised to him and his family. And he has to buy the only piece of land that he actually possesses. The rest of his time there, he's living as a nomad. His son Isaac's digging wells. Jacob's, you know, dealing with his family. Drama. Yet here's this promise that eventually became theirs. Then they lost it a couple of times. And now it's become theirs again. Who knows God's promise still stands. Still stands. But Abraham believed for more than just physical land. He was looking for a city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. That's more than real estate. In verse 13, talking about the heroes of faith, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, for those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Who's seeking that homeland? Amen. The answers I need, the things I prayed for today, aren't ultimately what I'm seeking for. I'm seeking for that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The homeland. I'm staying here, but this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Now, they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared 
a city for them. In my Father's house, Jesus said, are many dwelling places, many mansions. And I go to prepare a place. I believe he wasn't saying, I'm going to go put silver screws and the golden hinges on the pearly gates. I believe he was going to prepare the place. He was going to make a way for us. He said that, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The third point today. This providence can often be fuel for pushing ahead. This is the purpose of the sermon today. If you can understand God is a God of providence, that when you're discouraged, you won't stop. You won't give up. God's providing. God's working all things for good. We sang about that. God, I believe you're working all things for good. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Some people just randomly quote that verse and they think the good is, has something to do with their purpose that they came up with on their own. No, it's your purpose, all right, but it's one he came up with from the foundation of the world. In relating the story of Joseph in Psalm 105, talking about Joseph's forefathers and Joseph, says that God, he remembers his covenant forever. The word which he commanded for a thousand generations. We haven't even come close to that yet in the history of the world. The covenant which he made with Abraham in his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, to you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance. When they were few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. When he made the covenant with Abraham, he told him his descendants were going to be slaves in Egypt. <laughs> this purpose of God was going to be fulfilled, but it was going to take hundreds of years. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another place, he permitted no one to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sake. Remember, they were in hostile territory. And during famine and times of need, they would go into other kingdoms. And uh, they may do something wrong and lead the ruler to think that their wife was their sister so they wouldn't be killed, so the wife could be added to the harem. And God would not allow the king. It was Pharaoh in one place and Abimelech in another case. And I think Isaac did the same thing, didn't he? With Abimelech, another Abimelech. He wouldn't allow them to violate this plan he had for this family. Save, and this is what God said, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. All right, look at that text. Because this is quoted out of context big time by spiritual leaders who want to manipulate the scriptures to keep power, to not be accountable to anyone. Who are the anointed ones in this scripture? Abraham and his descendants. Who are the prophets in this picture? Abraham and his descendants. So we best not do harm to those people. Verse 16. Moreover, God, 
he called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions. But until that happened, the word of the Lord tested him. Have you ever wished God would have just let you alone if you didn't know the calling wasn't going to come to pass right away? Maybe you're called to be a missionary somewhere, and you know you are, and you're still not there. You're still in the years of preparation. And you may be tempted to think, God, I wish you'd have left me alone. But that word is testing you. That word is propelling you forward to live a life of a servant, to develop your character, to become a Joseph to your generation. Does that make sense? So the word stayed alive in him. And when tempted to do wickedness by Potiphar's wife, he says, how can I do this wickedness against your husband, against God? The word was working mightily in him. May God's word be alive in you and I. And his promise keep us on a straight and narrow. Maybe you've stumbled and messed up. You haven't blown it. God's calling is still there. His purpose is still there. Look at the children of Abraham, and what a story. Talk about some messes. God worked it out. He saved the brothers and their families and their little ones and their descendants because God sent a man before them. Could he have done it another way? Yes. He could have you know, maybe gotten a reputation as being the world's greatest dream interpreter and got hauled to Egypt and been promoted that way. That would have been awesome, wouldn't it? But wicked people around you don't stop being wicked just because God has called you. Your setback can be God set up for your future. This is Sam Childers. Maybe you've seen his movie, Machine Gun Preacher. He's still alive. He's from Pennsylvania. He works with orphans in Uganda. 2020 kind of hindered what he was doing because of the COVID thing in the world. He's still around. Everybody's not his fan, but he's a man of God. Before becoming a Christian, he was an outlaw. He was a biker dude. After becoming a Christian, he built a church, and he was part of a mission trip to South Sudan to help rebuild burned-out homes, and wound up having to pick up a weapon to rescue children. Became known as a machine gun preacher. He wrote a book, wound up becoming a movie. This is a scene from the movie. He built a church, and the first Sunday, the guest speaker couldn't make it, so he had to preach. And in, in his sermon, he tells a story of him being pursued by some guys that were out to get him. And when he reached for his weapon, it was gone because of something his mother did. That lack actually was God's provision. 
How can lack be provision? You'll see. Never really been too keen on talking in front of people. Uh, but the guest speaker that we had today, well, he didn't show up, so I thought I would get up and say a few words. Uh, okay, well, a lot of you knows me pretty good. Knows I ain't exactly the best seed in the bunch. Uh, maybe you was wondering what made me want to build this here church. I gotta tell you that standing up here right now, I ain't so sure myself. <laughs> but God don't only call the good. I reckon every now and again he calls us sinners too, and I was about as bad as they come. <sighs> Bunch of years ago I was in the woods. I was running from some pretty bad fellas in the woods over there by, by Cleary. And uh, those old boys, they was coming after me pretty hard. Well, I reached in my bag. I was looking for my old shotgun and, well, it was gone. Now my mama, I took it out when I wasn't looking and shoved this here Bible in there instead. Yes, she did. Well, I figured I was pretty much done for, so I sat down under an old tree with this useless book in my hand and I just waited. And then the strangest thing happened. Those boys, they just, they ran right on past me. They didn't even see me sitting there. Now, the way I figure it, things would have turned out pretty different if I'd pulled out that shotgun instead of this here Bible. But you know, it got me thinking. God is looking out for each and every one of you too. And all you got to do is just open the door and let them right on in. Amen. Amen. God doesn't just call the good. He calls the bad. And if you've been a bad guy, he set you up to be here today to hear this. You're called. Things you don't understand, you will understand in reverse. Just not today. But what you can, and can understand by faith is you can open up your life and invite God in to take over. For he so loved the world that he gave Jesus that if you believe in him, you not have to perish, but you can receive eternal life. You can have a purpose. You can stop running. You can stop escaping. You can stop trying to fulfill things that will only bring you heartache. I'm not here to say that it's going to be all peaches and cream for the rest of your life, but it will be an adventure. And you will taste peaches and cream in life. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And a life without Christ is a life that's hard. The way of transgressors, the Bible says, is hard. The, life, the pathway of the righteous grows brighter and brighter. And you're in a room full of people that have given their lives to Christ. We weren't perfect. We're still not perfect, but we're being perfected. And God's reaching out to you today to give them your life. Can we bow our heads? Father, I pray for every person in this room. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would draw all men to yourself, just like you promised. Draw every person 
to you, Lord. I want to say, draw them back here, but Lord, that would be short-sighted. Draw them to you. Give your life, may they give their life to you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're watching us online or you're a guest here today, the Lord loves you. He has a purpose for you. And he is a God of providence. He's the only wise God. And he chose you to be here today because he sees the end from the beginning. And his purposes and his counsel will stand. And he works all things according to the counsel of his will. God bless you.